awesome. That's just a good one, wasn't it? I don't, I don't just try. Um, and it's, it's weird, guys, because like when you sing certain songs, God kind of stirs certain things in you. Um, and so when I sing that, I think of Mr. Pat. Um, I think of Chuck. I think of um, I mean, just that list, Cindy. I think of your daughter. I think of all these people that we've got um, that are just fighting right now. Um, and when I sing a song like that, I just think of how faithful God is and how good he is. Um, and, and, and just even, just kind of like this, this week, there's been some craziness kind of happening in my life, um, in my family back home. And so just, just be praying for us, just with my sister and some stuff going on there and her family. And so just, just a battle. Satan's a punk, and um, so he does punk stuff. And so, uh, that, I, mean, that, I mean, that's the nice way to say it. But um, so just please be praying for us and, and my, my sister and my family there and um, She's got three little boys, and they're doing good, and so it's not that. It's just marriage-type stuff, so just pray that God moves and speaks. And so, but when I sing songs like that, I just think of just how good and faithful he is, even in the midst of just hell. I mean, I guess that's the only way to say it, just even in the midst of, of hell on earth. And so, um, I, I don't know. So I, whatever you're going through, man, just turn to the faithfulness and goodness of God. Just be reminded. And so songs like that. And, and he, I mean, from the very beginning, man, the, the old hymn that we sang at the very, very beginning took me back to my roots, man, to, as a kid in church there and just being able to sing the faithfulness and goodness and, and love of God. And so um, I don't know. I just felt like God spurred me to say that. So you cling to him no matter what. And, and I love that part where it said that even in the shadow of night, I mean, you, you can't have a shadow of night because night's night. But God would even guard us in that and walk with us through that. So, um, oh, sorry. Let, let's let's pray, and I think that'll maybe help get us kind of back on on pace. So let's, if you'll join me this morning, God, we, God, we, we're just reminded of your goodness and faithfulness. And so, God, um, God, this whole thing's worship. There's not like a music is worship, and then this is something else. But God, everything that we do in this place this morning is worship. God, from giving an offering to time praying to singing songs to listening to your word proclaimed, God, all of this is worship. And so, Lord, we pray, Jesus, that you would just stir our affections and desires for you all the more as a result of spending time in your presence with your people, as a result of being reminded, God, through song, through proclamation of your word, God, that you would just stir and help us to be all the more faithful, all the more in tune, all the more in love and abandoned to you and whatever your will may be. And God, I know that there's people in this room right now that are hurting, that are fighting, that are, uh, God, God, it's life and death. And so God, I just pray for your provision. God, I pray for your healing. God, I pray for movement uh, that can only be described as a move of God. And so Lord, we just pray and we beg and we seek, God, you this morning in this place. God, that you would do a work in our heart and our life. God, help us look more like you, live more like you as a result, God, of everything that's taken place here this morning. God, may you receive honor and glory. God, may you be made famous. God, may you be the greatest desire of our heart in everything. In your name we pray, amen. All right, all right, all right. Um, so this is our last week of our summer series. Jesus said, what? That's exactly right. So this will be the last time we get to say it. Um, no, uh, you can say it anytime you want to, but this, uh, this is the, the last week, and I think this is a, a week eight of our summer series, um, and so this will be the last difficult thing that we've looked at uh, that Jesus says, and there are plenty more in the New Testament uh, of things that Jesus has said that are difficult to understand, difficult to maybe get our heart and mind around, um, and so this is just one that I felt like would be a good one for us to kind of end on. Um, 
And my hope with this whole series is simply this, is that as we look at some of the difficult things that Jesus has said, that it'll just stir our affections and our desire and our love for for Jesus and for God all the more. That that when we truly get to see why he said what he said and what he actually said, um, that that we'll just love him all the more, be faithful all the more, want him all the more. And so that's been my hope and desire through this because I know that there are so many things in our culture and our world right now uh, that are just falling apart. Even within the church, as people renounce their faith and they walk away from who Jesus is and they say that they're unsaved and, and there's just a ton of things that are, that are happening in, in church world. My hope is that, that when you see who Jesus truly is, that, that, that there'll be no desire to walk away from him. That'll stir up a glad obedience all the more when you hear and understand why he says what he says. That it's for his glory and for our good. That's why he says the difficult things. Those of us in the room that are parents, we get that. We parent, and sometimes as parents, we have to do difficult things with our kids. And so as a result of that, we don't do it because we don't like them. No, the scriptures say we, we discipline our kids. Why? Because we love them. It's the one that doesn't discipline their kids, which would show that, that they don't love them like they should. And so all this is, is when Jesus says difficult, hard things, it's because he loves us. He expects more out of us. He wants us to be closer to him and further away from the things of this world. And so uh, this will be our last week. Next week we'll jump into and have our celebration service. And after that it'll be followed by lunch and baptism at the lake, like I've said. And I'm excited about that as I'm going to try my best not to fall apart as I have the opportunity and privilege to baptize my oldest little boy. And I am super excited. I know we've got a list of other people that are going to be baptized and we're just going to eat and fellowship and we're just going to have us one heck of a time at the lake. I'm just going to tell you that right now um, and in service next week. And so that's, uh, that's what will be taking place uh, next week. And then just to kind of give you kind of broadcasting out a little bit, um, then we're going to do like a little mini series in September just kind of talking about who we are, what our DNA is, some of those type of things. It'll kind of uh, go right along with our ministry fair, do some stuff like that. And then we're going to start our uh, fall series toward the end of September. And we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet. And so uh, we'll, we'll spend probably about 12, 13 weeks there in Habakkuk. And that'll get us up to Advent as we start to celebrate the coming of Christ and Christmas. Um, and so that'll kind of be the, uh, the forecast of what we've got coming um, there and so, uh, but this morning, uh, this morning we'll jump in here in a few minutes. So if you have your Bibles, grab those. It'll be Mark chapter thirteen, Mark thirteen verse thirty-two uh, is where we'll be. And so as you're turning there, last week we looked at what Jesus meant when he had made the comment: the first will be last, and the last will be first. Uh, and so to get the better context of what Jesus was saying, what he meant there, uh, he says this statement at the end of a parable uh, where there's a lot of jealousy and resentment that is present because of this landowner uh, who's paying people the same wage who doesn't work the same hours, doesn't work the same amount of time. And so uh, uh, there's this aggravation and frustration toward this landowner um, and uh, that he pays the same amount for the guy that gets hired an hour before quitting time. And so he talked about how that has to do with and how that's coupled with the heart of gratitude and appreciation. Uh, And really, uh, it's connected to the kingdom of God. This parable is connected to the kingdom of God and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so really, it's a salvation uh, talk. It's a talk about belonging to Jesus and the fact that he would save anyone should be phenomenal, whether it's at the beginning of the day or the very last moment of life, the fact that God would save, we should be grateful and show gratitude. And so if you missed last week, you can catch it on our website. You can catch it on our Facebook page any talk from this series they'll all be up there you can uh, you can find those uh, those there and so today like I said Mark chapter 13 is where we're going to be Mark chapter uh, 13 
is where we're going to be at. And this will be our last saying uh, that we dive deeper into. And it comes from, like I said, Mark there. Um, and so what he's doing here, Jesus is just prophesying about uh, the end of the world. He, he is just telling about what's going to take place toward the end of the world. And he tells his disciples all the different things that are going to happen. Uh, that's what he does. So let's, let's look at what he says. Mark 13, verse 32. And this is what Jesus says. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, I'm good with that, right? Because we know what angels are. Angels are created beings, created to glorify and to praise God, created to serve uh, God. That's who an angel is. So I get an angel being unaware of something. Why? Because God has got to let the angel know because the angels are not all-knowing. The angels, they're not God. They're not to be worshipped. They're not to be lifted high. They're not to be made much of. No, angel is a created being who does all of that to God, who, who sings out praises to our king, who raises high and makes much of. So concerning that day and that hour, what hour? The return of Jesus, the return of God, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See where we're going this morning? Isn't there a little rub there? Don't we need to just hold up and maybe pump the brakes? Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back, and he's coming back? Doesn't that seem like a problem? I mean, how could the Son of God not know something, especially with something that big and that important? I mean, wouldn't you think that Jesus would have on his calendar the day, like this is when it's going to happen, this is, this is what's going to take place? He would have that circled and highlighted, and he would know, and this year, and this time, this is when it's all going to take place? And so maybe some, maybe some that are skeptical, or maybe some outside of the church even, maybe this uses uh, as an opportunity to maybe say, hey, see, this proves that he really wasn't the son of God. Because something that big would definitely be something that you would think he would know. Something that you would think that he would be aware of. And, and so I, I just want to pressure here because this is not the only time that Jesus is described like this. With some sort of a limitation, with some sort of a maybe not knowing and so as you read the scriptures, as you read the gospels, it would appear that Jesus has to learn some things, that he has to learn some things just like you and I. The scriptures talk about how he has to grow in, in knowledge and in stature. So he has to grow to understand and learn. He has to grow uh, from a baby to, into a man. So, so Jesus has this natural progression just like you and I of, of learning and growing, earning favor. See, I think probably most of us maybe think about Jesus and Jesus kind of uh, as a baby or as a youngster kind of being special. And I'm sure he was special. I mean, he was without sin. He's perfect. And so maybe some of you and myself even sometimes sit around and kind of just speculate like Jesus sitting around in the nursery. And maybe he's back in the nursery as a three-year-old and he's kind of lecturing the other toddlers. I mean, how can you teach Jesus, right? As, even as a child. And so maybe he's back there lecturing the other toddlers on the, uh, the Christological implications of Leviticus 13, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure his English, or he probably didn't speak English, but I'm sure his uh, language, he could speak English if he wanted to, but his language at three, I'm sure, was spot on. Or, or maybe our, he envisioned him just kind of back in the nursery at three there, wanting more fruit snacks. I mean, I don't know, whatever our picture of what Jesus is like as a, as a baby, as a child. I don't know what the thought is there. But, but how could this be as we read, as we look at this scripture, if he's God, how, how, can, how can this happen? How can Jesus not know something? And so I believe we just need to press in this morning. I believe we need to do some theology. And hear me, theology is not a dirty word. Theology is a good word. 
Theology is the study of God. We want a better understanding. We want to learn and grow in that so we can walk out obedience, so we can defend our faith. As you guys are about to head off to school, you need to know theology. You need to know doctrine, why you believe what you believe, what you even need to believe. Uh, Those of you as you head off to work tomorrow, you need to know doctrine and theology, what you believe about God, how you've arrived at that place. We, We want to be doctrinally sound. Theology is a good thing, a study of God and knowing and growing in who God is with better understanding. And so let's look at some of that this morning because from the beginning, we as Christians, we've believed, uh, uh, we've believed in the incarnate Jesus. We believe that Jesus has, has become man, that, that Jesus uh, uh, was born fully God and fully man. That means 100% God, 100% man, not 50-50, Jesus is not 50% God, 50% man. No, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. But the problem with that is we live in a world that only goes to 100. Just give it 110% is junk. You can't. We, we only live, 100 is perfect. That's all we've got. And so when we read this and we try to think about this and we try to get our mind around this reality, man, man, we hit a ceiling, don't we? We fall woefully short. I mean, how can Jesus be 100% man and 100% God? Because that equals 200 We don't function there. We don't understand that. And to that I would say, absolutely, you're right. We don't. We can't fully fathom it. I mean, I don't get it. I can't explain it. How is God, I mean, how is Jesus 100% God all the while being 100% human man just like you and I? I don't understand. I don't grasp it. But what I know is the scriptures teach it. And I'm going to lean much more on the Scripture's understanding and the Scripture's direction more than I am even on my understanding. Because on my best day, it, it took me three tries to pass college algebra. So I'm not going to lean in on my understanding. I'm not going to rely on myself. I mean, the one that's created, the one that's formed and fashioned, the one that has spoken, that's where I want to go to, to get my answers. That's what I want to lean on. And not to mention that, we've also got church history. I mean, we've got the test of time, the Council of the Chaldeans, one of the earliest church councils. This is what they say. Listen, they say that God and truly man, that's who Jesus is. He's God and he's truly man. He's one person, acknowledged in two natures. He's inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union but rather the property of each nature being preserved. What in the heck did they just say? They testify and agree to the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man. He was equally God, equally man. And so Jesus being fully God did not take away from him being fully man. And he was fully man and that did not take away from him being fully God. He was the God man And so for Jesus to save us, he had to have both. He had to be both. Had he not been man, he could have not died in our place as a substitute. And had he not been God, he could have never defeated the powers of sin in the grave. He could have never satisfied and appeased our God, made a way for us. So he has both, he is both. And because he was both, during his life we see flashes of both natures. We we see little glimpses of both natures. Let me give you some examples. Because he was the son of man, he could become hungry. He could feel the pain of hunger like you and I feel the pain of hunger when we haven't eaten. I mean, think about it for a moment. When Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, 
And Satan comes upon him to tempt him. What does he tempt him with? He knows that Jesus is hungry. He knows that he's, he's starving and he wants something to eat. So he tempts him, turn the stones into bread. Just do it, make your little sandwich, man, you can do it. He, he tempts him, why? Because Jesus felt the pain of hunger. But because he was the son of God, what did he do? He fed the 5,000, didn't he? Three loaves, two fish. Jesus fed the multitude. Why, because they were hungry. He leans in on God and he feeds. Because he was the son of man, he could get thirsty. He, he experienced thirst, he experienced that. He knew what it was to be thirsty, but because he was the son of God, he could turn water into wine. He could perform a miracle whereby only God gets glory and credit. Because of he was the son of man, he grew weary. And we see that, don't we? We see him slip away often, want to recharge, to, to, to press into God, to grow in his relationship with God. He grew weary, he grew tired. He was a man just like you and I. He was human just like you and I. He grew weary just like you and I, but because he was the son of God, what did he do? He could raise the dead to life. He could raise the dead to life. As the son of man, he counted his birthdays just like you and I do. Born as a baby, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 33 years. But as the son of God, he would say things like this. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Why, because he was man, he had days numbered, but because he was God, he would live on forever. And I just love that, Alpha and Omega. What Jesus is simply saying is he's equating himself to God. He's like, I am God. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He says, there, there's no start. I've always been. There's never been a moment when I have not been. But what he's saying by Alpha and Omega, Omega, there'll never be a moment when I don't exist. There'll never be a moment when I'm not. He's from the beginning to the end. He's everything in between and even outside of time and outside of beginning and end. He is all-encompassing. He is God in the flesh. And so because he was the son of man, he didn't know the day or hour he would return. But because he was the son of God, he promised he would return on the clouds with power and great Glory, that's what he promised. And so what Jesus does is he voluntarily empties himself to access of divine power while here on earth. He empties himself. This is called <clears throat> the kenosis, which means emptying. And that's what we see with Jesus. He emptied himself. He limited himself. He was fully man and he embraced his manhood. He was fully God and he chose to lay it aside and not act upon it. Anything outside the will of God, he did not do. He relied on God to fill him with his presence to be for him all that he needed. He emptied himself, Jesus did. And so I don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know, maybe you have friends that are kind of skeptical or you have, uh, maybe you're a little skeptical yourself and we always want this to be a safe place. We always want this to be a place where doubt is welcomed, where you can come and you can be open and you can be honest and you can, you can walk through that. You can uh, ask questions, those difficult questions and there's no judgment here. And so what I love about the scriptures, what I love about the Bible is how honest it is. I mean, think about it for a moment. It doesn't try to hide or clean things up. No, no, it doesn't try to uh, get rid of tensions or struggles or difficulties. And so if you were trying to make a guy who was really just like a religious fake, the son of God, if you're trying to make him the son of God, why wouldn't you have edited a statement like this out? Why wouldn't you have gotten rid of this? That I don't know the time. I'm not sure of my returning. Why would you have not gotten rid of that? Doesn't that point to or doesn't that cause doubt or skeptics or, or doesn't and let me tell you why I believe because the writers included it because Jesus first and foremost he said it 
And they wanted to be accurate. They wanted to, be, uh, they wanted to record and put what was written, what was said. And so he says it. And so they're committed to telling the truth. Even if it causes uh, created problems, even if it causes confusion or doubt, they wanted to be true to what the scripture says. That's what I love about the Bible. Is it, it's honest. It's raw. It's real. Jesus is man here, and he says this. So the reason Jesus didn't know is because he emptied himself of access to that knowledge. He laid it aside, which this is what Jesus says next makes it so difficult too. Look at what he says next in verse 33. He says this, he says, be on guard. Keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. It doesn't seem like a difficult statement, but it kind of butts up and goes along with uh, he doesn't know the hour or the time. And so, so he says, keep on guard, be awake, be ready. You don't know when it's gonna come. And so here's why this is so difficult. Did Jesus really think that the end of the world was close? Did he really think that it was about to end, that it was about to be over? It sounds like that. It would lead us to believe that. But that was 2,000 years ago. That was a little, a little over 2,000 years ago, and he still hasn't come yet. He still hasn't arrived. He still hasn't returned. So what some will do is they'll point to them and like, see, Jesus was wrong. He can't be God. He didn't know. He can't be God. He didn't do what he said. And so they, they point to what Jesus says a few verses earlier. And this is what he says. It'll be on the screen for you. Mark 13, 30. This is what Jesus says. Listen to why this can be difficult or this can be uh, hard to understand because Mark 13, 30 kind of gives us insight to 33. He says, truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. This generation did pass away and the end had not come. So Jesus had to be wrong, right? He had to have made one little mistake here, right? That's, that's what it's saying. But church, we've got to understand context. We've got to know what Jesus is talking about. We've got to dive in and we've got to dig. See, the context of what Jesus is talking about here in 30 really is just the deconstruction of the temple over in verse two of this chapter. He links it back to there. That would, uh, that would be a, a milestone in the commencement of the last days. That's what he's talking about that the Messiah would be killed, the temple would be destroyed, and God would begin to gather the Gentiles from the four corners of the world is what verse 27 teaches us and tells us. And what do we know? We've got history to tell us that in 70 AD, this took place. This was in their lifetime. This happened exactly like Jesus said it would. He's talking about his body. He's talking about the temple that he would be done away with. But not all has been completed, has it? See, verse 26 He's not yet come with power and glory. Jesus hasn't risen from the dead with power and glory. So it's begun, but it's not been completed. And so is there another reason maybe he's telling us to be ready? Is there another reason why he's saying this? And I believe yes. I believe it's because Jesus wants us to live in a constant state of readiness. He wants us to be looking, watching, working. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for us to do. And so Mark's account here, it's gonna go on to tell us a story to kind of illustrate this. He's gonna kind of show us what he means. Verse 34, as, as Jesus tells this story, he says, it's like a man who is going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, with each, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. So, uh, so this, this homeowner, this landowner, he's about to leave, and when he leaves, he's gonna put his different servants. I want you to be over the... Uh, 
the, the crops. I want you to be over the house. I want you to be over the servants. I want you to be over, uh, you be over the door and watch the gates. I want you, and so he kind of divvies it out and he gives them all their responsibilities. He says, now be watching and stay awake. In verse 35, he says this, therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come. Do what you're supposed to be doing, watching, working, doing what you're supposed to be doing, staying awake and alert because you, you don't know when he's gonna come back. You don't want to disappoint. You don't want to let down. You don't want to be caught doing what you shouldn't be doing. He says, the master of the house will come. So we don't know when, for the master of the house will come, maybe in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning. Verse 36 says, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So Jesus tells that story to kind of explain what he's talking about. And then he says it right there in verse 37. Stay awake. Stay awake. He's saying be ready, be awake, be alert. He could come in. He's talking about him. He's not talking about the landowner. The landowner is him. The landowner is God. Be ready, watching, working, waiting for his return. So we need to live in a state of readiness like he might return today. Today, at any time. Uh, Maybe let me try to illustrate it like this. Any good drivers in the room? All self-proclaimed drivers always say that we're good drivers, right? I would like to, I see that head nod, amen. Bless your brother. Me too, I like to think that I'm a pretty good driver. Um, and I'm not gonna stand up here and brag about my record right now. But you know, when you do that, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And so like, I don't want a ticket or an accident, so I'm just not gonna do that. But I've got a pretty good record right now. Things are going good, I'm a pretty good driver, my insurance is down, all that good stuff, like I've got that going um, with me. So, so, so I, I think that I'm a pretty good driver. Now, if you'd ask my wife, she may tell you something different. Um, she's in the nursery. You can check with her later. Just check my stats and all that stuff. But, but, but like I said, I like to think that I'm a pretty good driver. Um, so I get to where I need to go pretty safely, good, good amount of time, those type of things. And so, so like I said, I would like to think that I'm, that I'm a pretty, pretty good driver. Um, my issue, though, is, is this, I'm a looker. Like any lookers? Like if you're like I'm a looker, I'm a gazer. Like like I drive and I watch, man. I want to see. Even if I've been there, like I want to check things out. Like what's happening up over the hill? Oh, back to the road. What's the kids doing? Hey boys, back to the road. Like, like I'm a looker, man. What's coming? What's over there? If I've been there or not been there, I like I like I want to check it out. And I've got a touch of ADHD maybe, and so like it makes it even worse. But but I feel like I'm really good at managing that. Probably the people that ride with me don't think so. But, but anyway, so, so like I feel like I'm, like I'm okay with it. And so the other day, we're driving somewhere, and I've got, got my wife up front, and then um, her brother, my brother-in-law's in the back, and like, um, like, like we're, we're talking, and we're driving, and stuff like that. I'm the one at the wheel, so like I'm locked in, 10 and 2, and I'm doing this thing, and we're driving. As I'm driving, uh, I hear a comment from the back seat. And good drivers don't like that, right? Any driver doesn't like that. And the comment, because you always want to be alert, even though you're a looker, you're still alert. And so the comment was, Meredith, did you feel that? And like, I'm trying to run through, I'm like, okay, I, did, I don't remember a pothole. There wasn't a small dog. <laughs> no squirrels. And, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, did I hit a kid? Like, I didn't feel it. But I'm a looker, so maybe, I don't know, maybe I missed it. Um, and so like, like they're, they're talking for a minute, and I'm like, did, did we feel what? Because as the driver, you should feel stuff, right? You would th- you're in control of the car. You would think you would feel stuff. So I'm like, did we feel what? And they're like, you don't feel it? I'm like, feel what? 
And I'm thinking, maybe we're out of alignment. We need to, I mean, maybe a tire's blown. I don't know what's happening. And they're like, Scott, when you look in a direction, you kind of go that way. <laughs> I'm a good driver. I don't do that. I mean, I, I, I'm talented enough to look over here and still drive kind of straight, I think. But apparently when I look, I tend to kind of lean that way and go that way, float that way. You know what I'm saying? And, and so why, why do I tell this goofy, dumb story? Because I believe that, that's maybe where the church is at. Maybe we as the church, we've, we've kind of got distracted or we've kind of gotten off on certain things. And so what we do is we, we know Jesus is supposed to come back. That's cute. That's good. Yes, he's coming back. He's been talking about it for thousands of years now. We've got it recorded, right? He's, he's coming back, but, but, but there's other stuff to see too. And yes, Jesus, but oh man, look at that stuff. Yes, Jesus, but oh man, it's Sunday. Yes, Jesus, oh, but look at that stuff. It's Wednesday. Yes, Jesus, but I'll look at that stuff. Or I'm hanging out with my small group. Yes, Jesus, but, but after that, I'll look at all this other stuff. And so we kind of look and when we look, what happens? We start to drift because I don't care how good of a driver you are chances are when you start to look you probably start to drift a little bit it's just hard to focus on two things at once right it's very difficult yeah the road's this way but I'm kind of just checking something out over here the road's this way but there's just something back here and even the rearview mirror thing still kind of gets you to drift sometimes if you're not careful and so I just believe that that's what's happened with the church is that we've started to drift a little bit, that we've taken our eyes off of and, and, and we've gotten away from a little bit of what Jesus has commanded us and called us to do. And what he's called us to do is to be watching what's in front of us, to be walking after what's in front of us, to be alert and, and aware of what's going on, not to get distracted. And the thing that we're to be walking after is Jesus, to be, excuse me, watching and waiting. He's coming back, church. He's coming, he's told us he's coming back for his church. Like a bride, we just sang it. Like a bride, I'll be waiting for you. I'll be ready for that day. Why? Because he's coming back. And it could be any moment. Does Jesus know now? Yes, Jesus knows and is aware of when that day will take place. And he's coming back for us. And he's gonna rescue and he's gonna make perfect and he's gonna call the church together. But I'm afraid that the church has become like me driving we're focused on everything else and we're not watching, working for Jesus like we need to be. We're so easily distracted and swayed by all the other things that buy for our attention, that call for our affection. C.S. Lewis, just this juggernaut of the faith, says this. He says, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all times. He says, because we don't know. We don't know when it's gonna happen, what's gonna take, when he's coming back for sure. We need to be ready at all times. All we know is he's coming because he's told us. And God don't lie. God don't play. When he tells us something, he means it. So he's coming back for his church. And, he's, and he goes on to say this. It's, it's the soldier. The soldier does not know at what time the enemy may attack or at what time the officer may make inspection of his post. So he must be awake at all times. Church, we need to wake up. We need to wake up and we need to be ready. So this morning to close, this is how I want to close. I've got three things that happen if you are in a state of readiness for Jesus' return. Three things that takes place. I'll call you guys back up here in just a moment. Three things that happen if we are in a state of readiness for Jesus' return. The first thing is this, is that we're spiritually alert. That we're spiritually alert. We're awake and we're ready as it, as it pertains to, to being uh, following Jesus and being alive in Jesus. And, and we're just spiritually alert. Does anybody remember, um, does anybody remember the bumper sticker that says, it says, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned? Anybody remember those bumper stickers? Anybody ever have one? Okay, not me. I don't know. I'm that guy. 
Like, I can remember that, like, growing up in high school, middle school, high school, there was, like, this big push, and, and those were the bumper stickers. Is in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. So what that's saying is that this car, this vehicle, becomes a weapon if God comes back for his church. Because what they're saying is that I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, he comes back, I'm gone. So, so if you're left behind, guard yourself, because I don't know where this car's going. Like it's now become a missile headed towards something. And so as I just thought about that, as I, as I read, as I thought about that, it was, it was, I think, if I'm thinking right, timeline, it was around like year 2000, because that's when everything was supposed to end, Right? Computers were supposed to blow up. Jesus was coming back. It was going to be over. We were done for all of that. If it wasn't that, then it was going to burn up. There was this big wave coming. Dinosaurs were going to come up out of the deep. Godzilla was, it was going to be horrific. Like the world was over, which I just, I want to lovingly just, just teach for a moment here for a second. That's not how the world ends. The scriptures doesn't teach that. That's not how this whole thing is over with. That's not what happened. Godzilla doesn't come out of the water. Uh, it doesn't just, we're done. No. Scripture is clear. So like everybody freaks out around Y2K stuff. And these bumper stickers became really famous in that moment. But that's not how Scripture ends. But uh, I'm sorry I got off point. But, uh, but I say all of that to say this. Is that that's, that's a true thing. In case of the rapture, in case of Christ comes back to call back, to call out his church, the car's going to be a man. There's going to be a lot of things different. I guess my question for you from that whole thought of this being spiritually alert, how would you live differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight? If you knew at 10 o'clock tonight, how would you live differently today as a result of that? If you're going to be caught out, eternity with him, how would that change things in a spiritual standpoint from a spiritual area? How would you live differently? What would you do? And see, I'm afraid that a lot of people think, think this doctrine is maybe superstitious, maybe non-essential, maybe a little bit embarrassing, maybe uneducated Christian theology. But just listen for a moment what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. There are 260 chapters of the New Testament and in those 260 chapters, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. 300, I said 318 references to the second coming of Christ. That means one out of every 13 verses mention it. One out of every 13 verses of the New Testament has something to do with the second coming of Christ. See, many of the commandments that we have in the New Testament is, is tied to the second coming, meaning this. The reason why that's the case is because it's a do this or don't do this because he's coming back soon. We need to be ready. As a kid, if you knew mom and dad would be back before long, what would you do? You'd be on your best behavior. You didn't want dad to walk in and catch you. Heaven knows we didn't want mama to catch us, right? Uh, we just didn't want that to happen. So we do this or we don't do this because we know he's coming back because he's loving and gracious and he's told us. And so church, the reality is this, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 100 years from now, it could be 1,000 years from now. I mean, God has promised that he's coming back for his church. And so I guess what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being uh, just, just spiritually alert, I mean, think about it in this sense. I mean, this could be your last time to repent. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and this isn't a scare type thing, that's not what I'm trying to do, I'm just, I'm just telling you. Tell you what the scripture says. This could be the last time that you have the opportunity to come to know him as Savior. This could be the last chance that you have to share the gospel with a family member or a friend. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't know 
We have opportunity. We need to be serious spiritually. The second thing uh, that happens if you're in a state of readiness for Jesus' return is that there's this, there's this sense of missional urgency. The sense of missional urgency. So if you knew that the world has an end date, and it could be soon, shouldn't you rearrange your priorities? Like, like if you knew that the, the end date, there is an end date, and we're aware of it because Jesus says there is, now we don't know the time, we don't know the day, he makes us look like fools every time we pick one, does he not? Like, I just love that. Like, he's all educated. Like, they just, ah, no, Y2K. Well, no, we missed it by just, like, two months. It's Y2K February. Or, uh, and, like, 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 every so often, you'll see these, like, little dates and things that they've put together come around. And I just love, I mean, I can just imagine God in heaven. <laughs> they don't, Jesus, you see this? Holy Spirit. I mean, every time he just makes, nobody knows. Only God, only Jesus, only the Trinity knows. But if we know that there is going to be an end, shouldn't that stir in us this missional urgency? It was in small group this week, Tuesday, and I believe there was a statement made, and the statement was uh, kind of like, I think the thing that was said and was, was rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. And I'd never thought of it like that. I've never heard it like that. But if you know that the ship's going down, when that table kind of scoots over a little bit, you're not going to run over and worry about it and scoot it back. Or if that chair shifts, oh, I need to put it back. The ship's going down, man. You've got more worries than keeping the deck nice and neat and, and cordial for that moment. And the same thing for us as the church. It's coming to an end. One, either by death or two, by, uh, by, by Christ coming back for his church. But the thing's going to end. And that should stir in us gratitude and expectancy and urgency. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So isn't that what's happening a lot though, this whole Titanic illustration? Isn't that what's happening a lot, what we're doing? Life's consumed by long hours of work, hobbies, possessions, relationships, stuff. And so I think one of the things that breaks my heart the most about the church is that reality. What I mean by that is this, is the potential in this room is through the roof. I, I wanna look around for a second. Look at who's sitting next to you. Look at who's sitting in front of you. Look at who's sitting behind you. Man, the potential in this room is through the roof. What we could accomplish and do in this world for the glory of Christ, oh, what God could do through us as he would use us, if we would just submit and we'd leave that dumb chair on the sinking ship alone and we'd go after something that's important and meaningful and we would do the work that God has called us to, and hear me, this is not one of those, um, and I'm not the guy who believes that God never wants us to have things or he never wants us to enjoy things or go and have good times. What I'm saying is this, I just know that life is painfully short. It is woefully short. I just know that. Uh, as I've been to funerals of little children to my great-grandmother made it to 103. So I've been everywhere in between that. Just like this past week, Mr. Larry's brother passed away. Be praying for him. I forgot to mention that earlier. Man, and, and we were just talking this morning about the life that his brother lived, just a godly man that loved Jesus. But still, that's woefully short. 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 103 years is short. That's woefully short, painfully short. But imagine what we can accomplish if we would put our heart and eyes on Jesus and we would focus on what we need to focus on. Man, I just know this, when the master returns, I want to have invested 
every possible thing that I can to the kingdom. Uh, my fear is that so many Christians, uh, for so many Christians, is that God says this, man, I gave you opportunity and resource and you wasted it on silly things. Why would you waste it on silly things? Your effort, your energy, your talents. And that, that's why I'm, I do such a big push for children's ministry. That's why I do such a big push for youth, for college, for investing, for discipleship. One, he called us to be about that. Two, I mean, imagine, I mean, statistically speaking, if, if a kid doesn't come to know Jesus before graduation, the numbers drastically drop of the chance of them coming to know Jesus as Savior. So do you think we're going to invest in children? Absolutely. Do you think we're going to invest in youth? Absolutely. Do you think we're going to invest in college? You better believe it. We're going to push all of our chips in. Why? Because that's important. Why? Because the gospel matters. Because lives matters. Eternity, the ship's going down, people. So we want to invest and we want to do what we need to do on the things that are going to return the most. It's lives and souls. And I look at this room and I can just imagine, I can imagine the men and women that could give their life away. I look at the men and women in this room, those of you that build, like I'm not a builder. I've got like a hammer thing and, and a, my wife won't even give me much power tool type stuff. I've got a drill. But like she won't even give me like the big sharp like drill thing to drill into stuff. But man, I look in this room and I see guys who can build stuff from like nothing. Man, I see people in here that has just been gifted financially. I've seen people in here who, who just got the gift of just talking and relationship, of hospitality. Man, we, the potential in this room, church, the potential, if we would just submit our lives and invest in what matters the most, if we would be watching and working, we need to quit being like me driving and looking everywhere else and focus on what matters most. And the last thing that I've got for you this that uh, would show that you're in a state of readiness is for Jesus' return, the band comes back up, is this, is that there's hope in suffering. That there is great, great hope in suffering. And we can suffer for a little while if we know that Jesus has got us. Can we not? So when I read that list every week and I look at that list through the week and I spend a moment praying or I, I'm reflected or reminded of the hurt and the pain or I get phone calls like I did this week about my family or, or, or phone calls like I did this week about a loss of a loved one or, or someone hurting or surgeries coming up or different things like that, man, I, just, I know that there's great hope in Christ and who he is and I know there's great hope even in that suffering. Listen one more time, Mark 13, 26. Just listen for a second. It says this, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. What does that do? Bring it. Whatever it is that this world wants to throw at me, whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, and I know it's easy to say that when life's going good. I think that's why it's so important for us to be watching because church, what I've learned is this, is if we're not watching and walking after Whenever those difficulties and those struggles and those hardships and those diseases and those bad news and those uh, whatever it may be comes after us, it is so much easier to hurt and to feel that and to feel panicked and to feel hopeless. I mean, there's great, great hope in Jesus. There's great, great hope in suffering. See, the world we live in is a wreck. There's pain, there's suffering and all that comes from sin. And so what Jesus' return does is it promises us that this won't last forever. All this pain is temporary. I think of Edith in her wheelchair. Man, there's going to be a day she kicks that chair, baby, and she's probably going to outrun me. It wouldn't take much, but she's going to outrun me. And there's men and women in this room that have hurt for too long. 
Maybe just one more day is all I'm asking you. Why? Because there is hope in suffering when Jesus says he is who he is. And he's coming back for us. And we can endure if we know that it's not long. So when we hurt, look upwards and say he's coming. And you know what? It very well could be today. It very well could be today. The reality is that Jesus says there's a day coming that he's going to return. So we need to be watching. We need to be ready. We need to be working. Don't be caught at the door asleep. Don't be caught not paying attention. Don't be caught thinking that Jesus doesn't know because he knows and he is aware. So my questions for you is this. Are you watching and are you ready? Are you saved? Do you belong to him? I think the most loving thing I could say this morning is this. If you don't have a relationship with him, man, I would love to have more conversation with you. I would love to show you in the scriptures who Jesus is. I would love to show you what he's done for me, tell you a story. I could point you to people right now that would just blow your mind the goodness and grace of God. And the second question I'd ask to close is this. What are you doing as a result of being his? What are you doing? And you could have great purpose if you would just submit and follow Jesus with everything in you. All I know is simply this, is that we're a church that needs you. We want you. We want you to give your life away. We want you to spend all that you've got in just following Jesus and serving him. And we're going somewhere. We want to be serious about who God's created us to be. I know we, we clapped here a few moments ago when we said that we'll be 13, that we're 13 years old now. August, we turn 13. Do you know how big that is in this world today as churches shut their doors every month, as pastors walk away from the ministry in the groves? That we have made it 13 years and nothing about what we've done, but by all of what God's done. And imagine what we're gonna be doing 13 years from now. Imagine what this is gonna look like 13 years from now. What God will do if we'll just get involved, if we'll just give our life away, if we'll just focus and be spiritually minded, if we'll just be focused and be missionally minded. If we put our hope and trust in Jesus, imagine what he could do through us and with us. And I don't know what you're struggling with, I don't know what you're going through, but there's an answer and that answer is Jesus. And I beg of you, keep your eyes on him. The hurt's only for a little while, the pain's only for a little while. The stuff you're going through is only for a little while. And in that, God is even working in a way to bring you closer to him, to draw you all the more to him, to love, desire, and have a greater affection for him. So be watching, be working, be ready. God, help us this morning in this place not to be distracted. God, I know the silly little illustration with the car thing just sticks out to me, God, because that's me. I am so easily distracted and drawn away. God, I pray that you help me keep my eyes focused on you. God, I pray you help the men and women in this room keep their eyes on you, working and waiting for you. God, help us live up to the potential in this room. God, would you light a fire under us, spur us on. God, I can't imagine what this community will look like as a result of us getting serious, working and watching for you. Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for the summer series. Thank you for this morning. Be glorified. In the name we pray. Amen. You respond as God leads. You want to come pray. If you want to go talk to someone, pray with someone, you just be obedient to whatever it is that God calls you to this morning. You guys lead us.